0: We're going to begin tonight in 1 John 1. 1 John 1 beginning with verse 5. The apostle wrote, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Tonight I want us to consider for a few moments the idea of walking in the light, but maybe in just a little different way. I want us to talk about the light in which we live, and that's what I've entitled the sermon, the light in which we live. There is a light in which we are to live, and there is a behavior that corresponds with us living in that light. As John penned his first general letter, the fellowship of the churches to which he was writing was being threatened by a new and a very different religion. In fact, it was one which opposed all the teachings that John and the other apostles had been doing for the last 60 years up to that point in history. The new and false teaching denied that Jesus was God, And it did on the basis that deity is not able to manifest itself in human form. Their idea was that God could not inhabit a fleshly body because, along with other falsehoods in their doctrine, they taught that the body was sinful, that we're born sinful. So when we look at modern day Calvinism, it's no different than what was being taught at the time of John. Now to counter that, John opened his letter pointing to Christ, talking about Christ, bringing our attention to the very One because it is only through Him where we're able to have fellowship with God. And so that's what John started. He began with Christ and it's very similar to his uh, biographical account, his uh, Gospel account. Both of these accounts, this letter and then the biography of Christ, are very similar. And they begin in much the very same way, uh, presenting evidences to prove the deity of Christ. Both begin with a reference to the beginning. Both mention, they speak of the Word, who became a man and lived among men. Both declared the eternal uh, essence of God, God Himself entered into the history of man at the time that Jesus Christ was born as a person. Both add that the earthly manifestation of God was witnessed by many. Not just those who were adherents to Christianity, but by many people. Both speak of Christ as the Father's Son, and both talk about the relationship that one is to have with God through Christ is a new relationship. But, if we're going to enjoy this fellowship, this new relationship, there are things that we must do. There is a light in which we are to walk, and there is a behavior that is to correspond with walking in the light. There are things we, can't, we have to do. We just can't simply wait for either salvation or faithfulness to simply happen. One writer remarked this, he said, Many people are waiting for their ships to come in, yet they haven't sent one out. That makes sense, doesn't it? We can't simply wait. We have to do something. Reminds me one time I read of an interview with the late Ken Stabler, former Alabama quarterback, former quarterback for the Oakland Raiders. He was recited a quote by the renowned author Jack London. The quote is this, he said, I'd rather be ashes than dust. I'd rather my spark go out in a burning flame than it be stifled with dry rot. I'd rather be a splendid meteor blazing across the sky, every atom in me in magnificent glow, than be a sleepy and permanent planet. Life is to be lived, not just to exist. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I will use my time. The Sports Illustrated writer looked at the the old rough quarterback and said, "Exactly, what does that mean to you?" Well, as was his way of interacting with people, he stood there, kind of slumped over with his hands in his pocket, and he and he looked at the uh, the uh, reporter, and with a shrug of his shoulder, he said, "Throw deep." Well, he understood that action was called upon, right? He understood in the way that he could understand and in his his manner that you couldn't wait. You had to do something. And so that's what we ought to do. There is a light in which we walk. A light in which we live. There is a behavior that corresponds with that light and we can't wait for that to happen. We have to do something to cause it to happen. Ultimately, ultimately, the reason for our actions as we look in John's letter is a fellowship with God. But along with that fellowship with God, we have some other wonderful things that happen. We have a fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ will continually cleanse the sin that the world has uh, gotten onto us, right? When we walk in the light. And that means something, though. Remember, we have a corresponding action that causes that to happen. As we look at John's letter, he transitioned from what we are to do into how we are to do it. And of course, he's talking about the Christian's need and fellowship with God, and he brings to our attention, like all of the prophets did, he goes to the revelation. That's our first point. And the foundation of that revelation, as we notice in his writing, is that God is light. He revealed the source of the message, didn't he? We have to make sure that when we receive the message, that the message is from the source, that can do something for us. Jesus himself, and like in his gospel account, he is emphatic that Jesus is the source. Jesus is the process through which we gain fellowship with God. Jesus is the source of our salvation. Jesus is the foundation for all that we are and can be in our relationship with God. The Word is, marks for us the permanence and absoluteness of the source of John's message. He says, And this is the record. This wasn't something that John produced on his own. This was something that he was relaying as a matter of revelation to him and through inspiration he wrote it down. He heard the message from Jesus, but that wasn't enough, was it? Now he is declaring it to the reader. It's not enough to simply learn what God wants. It's not enough just to even obey God's commandments. We must do something. We must... Declare it to others. Now the verb used here indicates a continual action. They had preached it in the past and they would preach it again in the future. Nothing was going to stop them. Now we have to remember during this time, one of the greatest persecutions the world has ever known, under the reign of Domitian, the Christians suffered at that time more than they had ever suffered, even under Nero. That's when the revelation of Jesus Christ, also penned by John, was written at about this same time. And they were giving their lives for that for which they believed. I want us to notice that John didn't say that God is the light. He didn't say that God is a light. He simply said God is light. God is the source. He is light. He is the light in which we are to walk. When we look in the Natural world, we notice that light is the necessary ingredients to cause and to spur growth. Without light, nothing is going to grow. It's the same thing in the spiritual realm. We have to have light if we're going to mature and we're going to grow. The light is God. God is light. He gives us the revelation. He tells us what we must do, and then He will encourage us through His teachings. In the Gospel account, He said concerning Christ, John 1 verse 4, He said, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Without the light, there is no life. Without the life of Christ, there was no light to bring us to God. The light of Jesus is what brings spiritual growth, and we have to have that. Now to the Gnostics, those who were fighting against John and who had come with this brand new religion, They had created for themselves a God who was, in their teachings, a good God. And in their mind, very much superior to the inferior God of the Bible, the God that John preached, the God that we worship. John destroyed that notion. He absolutely destroyed it because he said, "...in Him is no darkness." The world continues to do that. Maybe not so much in those exact words... But they still continue to do it. When people claim that they have a fellowship with God, yet they live in a sinful manner, they're claiming and they're putting darkness where light is. And we can't do that. We have to be careful about that. John goes from the Revelation, the foundation of the Revelation, and then as he continues on, John goes from the Principles, of this foundation to the failure of anyone who is not obedient to the Lord. We have to be obedient to Him. We have to have this behavior that corresponds with walking in the light. Like those in John's day, if we walk or claim to walk in the light, yet we are not living in such a way, and then go ahead and claim a fellowship with God, then we lie, don't we? We are not speaking the truth. We're not practicing the truth. If you'll notice, in this passage of Scripture, John makes three, if we say, statements. These clauses are presented in rapid succession, and they deny the very teachings that John is rebuking. The very teachings that these people are saying, oh, well, we have no sin, yet we have fellowship with God. We're worshiping some other God, yet we are in fellowship, and we are doing the things that we ought to do. John condemns that. Each error is followed with a consequential statement. If this happens, he talks about how it's wrong and how it is out of harmony with the basic truths of the Bible. Since God is light, we can't walk in darkness and have fellowship with Him. Have you ever noticed that darkness cannot come into contact with light? What happens? The darkness disappears. There is no more darkness, right? Those who enjoy darkness are not able to have fellowship with God. They're not able to come into His presence because light gets rid of darkness. Now, that's not to intend that those who live in a sinful way because they claim to be in the presence of God, then His light takes away the darkness. No, not at all. We simply are not able to be in contact with God if we live in a sinful manner. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 24, he said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon too. When we look at Paul's writings, Paul listed a whole array of lifestyles that makes fellowship with God impossible, Romans one 18 through 18-31. Any of those lifestyles prevents us from having fellowship with God, and it causes us to be in darkness. I want us to notice also, not only those who practice those things, but in verse 31, uh, or verse 32, he makes the statement that those who support people who practice those lifestyles will also be guilty. They may in and of themselves not do those things, but if they support the lifestyle, then they're not going to be saved. If we're going to enjoy a relationship with God, John said we have to practice the truth. Now, practicing the truth actually is, a, is an action, isn't it? It's not just simply stating that I believe what God has said. And this is the standard by which all people are to conform. And it's demanded by God. The truth is something that all people can do. All people can walk in the light if we choose to do that. That's not something that's impossible. God has never asked us to do something that is impossible for us to do. And this idea of walking in the light, this verb indicates not a one-time occurrence. It's a continual action. We walk in the light and we're going to continue to walk in the light. Remember, Jesus said, Matthew 10, 22, He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. If we stop enduring, we stop walking in the light, we won't be saved. And so we see John going from the foundational principle, giving the source of the information, the revelation, like all the prophets did, and he transitions over to the requirement. See, we want a fellowship with God. This is our second point. But there are requirements that we must meet. The first requirement is we live righteously. We live righteously. We live for God. And he presented the correct Christian doctrine here, opposing the false teaching that was making its way around. And of course, in his message, this idea of walking corresponds with the notion of living. Our walk in this life is our lifestyle, right? We walk the life, we live in this world, and it's how we live. In his message, we are told to consistently live in the life. That has to be our habit, right? Not a one-time occurrence. We we avoid sin. We avoid the things of this world. The the psalmist said he would not allow the sins of this world to stick to him in essence, to cling to him. He didn't want that. Of course, we need to understand this perfection of which John is speaking is not sinless perfection. That's impossible. It's not possible to possible to be sinlessly perfect but he's talking about a desire a driven desire that we will walk in the light and when we make a mistake we will correct that mistake we have to have a constant and a sustained effort to do that and that's very difficult at times isn't it very difficult god never promised to us that this life would be so easy that it would take no effort on our part to be his disciple No, it's going to be very difficult at times. But we have to have this sustained effort. Paul presented in great detail to the Ephesian brethren what it meant to walk in the light. And that's found in Ephesians 5, 1 through 11. We're not going to read all of that. We're just going to notice that he says to be followers of God. Well, what does that intend? If we're followers of one person, that means we're not following someone else. And of course, the exact opposite, the antithesis of God is Satan or sin. If we're following light, then we're out of the darkness. If we're in darkness, we're not in the light. He talks about us being God's children to walk in love as Christ loved us. That's our example. He goes on to say that we're to avoid things like fornication, all uncleanliness, covetousness. He says not let it... Let it not be named once among you. Stay away from it. Very similar, and if we we look at the the fluidness of the Bible, the things are taught from one end to the other. We see that Paul in his letter to the Ephesians are saying, Avoid these sins. said the same thing to the Romans in Romans chapter 1. John's saying the same thing. Stay out of darkness. Live in the light. He doesn't name them specifically, but... Paul does. We know what intends darkness. And then when we look at his statements to Timothy, he said, Flee youthful lusts, but pursue after things like righteousness and love and, and things of that nature. He goes on and he finishes in verse 11. He talks about not having anything to do, not having a fellowship of, with those uh, unfruitful works of darkness. He says, But rather reprove them. We have an obligation in this life. We have to stand for God and promote His cause and rebuke the unfruitful works of darkness. If one's going to walk in the light as as God is in the light, we have to avoid the darkness because it is impossible for those two things to inhabit the same space. More importantly, when we walk in the light, we will have a fellowship with each other. But the blood of Jesus will continually cleanse us. And that goes right along with John saying we can know that we have salvation. We can be assured that we are saved. We can be assured that when we leave this world, we will reside in heaven eternally because God has given us the book that allows us to understand what needs to be done. Christ's blood is so powerful that it can save anyone from any sin of which they will repent. I think it is sad when when I study with people and, and they make a statement to me, something similar to this, I've been so bad in my life I don't think God can forgive me. Well, we're limiting God's power when we do that. God can forgive any sin as long as we meet the requirements. If we'll repent of those sins, and that's what... John is talking about a little later on in our passage. But we have to keep in mind that this continual cleansing of Jesus' blood only happens if we are walking in the light. When we step outside the light, His blood no longer affects us. We've ignored it. We've gotten away from it. We have to put ourselves in a position to have His blood to continually cleanse us. That's the behavior that goes along with walking in the light. that to happen we have to first come out of darkness right we have to obey the gospel the initial salvation by obedience to the gospel faith and repentance turning away from the darkness and the sin of this world confessing that jesus is the son of god that he is the source of light right that he came to earth he died for us he rose from the grave and now he's sitting at the very right hand of the father and then of course living that Faithful life for God. That's walking in the light. All of that culminates in that. And that's what we want, right? We have a continual forgiveness of sin when we're striving and and we're understanding the concept of walking in the light. Well, the, the requirement is to live righteously. That's the first requirement. But what happens if one doesn't do that? Well, just like in John's passage, one says, well, I'm, I'm in fellowship with God and I'm walking in the light, yet they're not living in such a way. John's very clear, isn't he? He said, you lie. You don't know the truth and it's not in you. Those who John battled in the good fight of faith, they claimed to have no sin. They claimed to have no sin. Not only were they lying to those around them, they were lying to themselves, weren't they? And they were accusing God of lying. And we know that God can't tell a lie, Titus 1 verse 3. But they were doing that. God says, if you say you have no sin, you're telling a lie. The truth's not in you. They didn't didn't just not walk in the truth. They were completely devoid of the truth. They were morally and spiritually bankrupt. They had no desire to do the things that God asked them to do. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. The scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day were the same way, weren't they? You recall Jesus' statement to them, Matthew 23, 27? He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, claiming to be something when all along you're not. We get our uh, word for actor from that word hypocrite, acting as if you're something else when you're really not. He says... For you're like whited sepulchers. You're like a freshly painted tomb. On the outside it looks nice and clean and it's beautiful. But what's on the inside? He said, it's full of dead men's bones. And that's what they were. Those in John's day, when he wrote this letter, they were just empty on the inside. They were rotting with sin, just like the Pharisees and the scribes. They said, we don't have sin. Yet they did. They appeared good on the outside, but they were in trouble on the inside. See, the thing is, people can claim salvation all day long. But that doesn't mean that they're walking in the light and that God approves of what they're doing. And that's pretty easily found out. We can't live like the world and expect God to bless us. We can't not be different from the world and expect God to recognize us as His children when He comes back. To encourage his readers to greater faithfulness, John wrote a letter. He began with the foundational principles of the revelation. He wanted them to understand the message wasn't his, it did come from God. And then he went on to the requirements. You have to do these things if you're going to walk in the light. You have to live righteously. If you say you are, but you aren't, you're telling a lie. You're not going to make it. And then finally... He brought their attention to the result of their behavior. That's our third and final point. What happens if we confess our sin? As we read our passage and we go on down, and John says, if you'll confess your faults one to another, what happens? If you confess your sin to God, what happens? We'll be acquitted. He'll forgive us of those sins. We'll be acquitted of those charges. When we read Romans chapter 8 and and Paul puts forth those eight questions and he says, who can lay a charge to God's elect? Well, no one can. Not if we're walking in the light. Because that's what's going to happen on that great day, right? We're going to have Satan standing there in some some way. That's how it's presented in the Bible in a language that we can understand. Accusing God's people, oh no, they didn't live in the way you wanted them to live. They did this, this, and this, and... And Jesus standing there with us, defending us all the way, says, no, they paid for that. They paid for it through me. I died for their sins, and because of their obedience, my blood will continually cleanse them. And, that, and it did. See, we see how it all fits together. And that the message is one clear message. To walk in darkness means to be indifferent to sin. doesn't bother you. Willing to do it, no big deal. And again, the enemies of John said they had no sin. And they accused God of lying. They attempt to prove God does not condemn sinful lifestyles. We see that happening in today's world, right? Notice how we make the application. The people in John's day says, oh, we're not living in a sinful way. Yet, clearly they were. And then we look around our culture today and we see uh, marriage being... Uh, just destroyed. Men marrying men, women marrying women. Living in other lifestyles that's not appropriate, that God hasn't condoned. And what do people say? Oh, well, well, God doesn't condemn this lifestyle. I know He wants me to be happy. God wants us to be happy. There's no doubt about it. But He wants us to be happy within the parameters He set forth. There's no difference in people living like that today. I was sitting at table the other night speaking with a friend of mine and alcohol came up i don't even know how it came up he began to talk about he said i don't think there's a thing wrong with drinking a glass of wine must have come up because he knew how i felt about it and uh i said well there's nothing wrong with drinking a glass of wine if we don't mind that god condemns it i guess We can't say something is okay because we do it in small amounts, right? Sin is sin. A little sin, a big sin, it's all sin. It keeps us from heaven. And so we can't claim that something we're doing is okay and yet still claim to be followers of God. That's exactly what was happening here in John's day. And now we see it happening in a different way, but it's the same premise. But if we're willing to give those things up, And that's what John's talking about. You're willing to recognize that and give it up and and understand and make the statement I've done wrong. God will forgive us. He's just to do that. Another thing we take from this is the reality of being able to lose the salvation that we gained. It's a very real thing. John talks about it. Paul taught it in Galatians chapter 5. Those people were trying to go back to to a law that had been done away and Paul said, if you're uh, if you're going to operate under the old law, you can't just pick and choose. He said, if you do that, verse 4, or verse 5 rather, no, verse 4, he said, you've fallen from grace. And Peter was very clear. He talked about 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. He warned the Christians to whom he was writing. He said, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world. He's writing to Christians. If they become entangled again, he said they're worse off than they were in the beginning, it would have been better for them to never have known the way of God. If we don't allow ourselves to be acquitted, and that's the only way we can not be acquitted, is by not allowing ourselves to be acquitted, not being obedient, not submitting, and doing the things God has asked us to do, If we won't allow that to happen, in essence, we accuse God. Just like those people in John's day. We won't acknowledge our sins. We say we're okay. We're accusing God of lying. And we deceive ourselves. We deceive those around us. Paul said and made this statement to the Roman brethren, Romans 3.23. He says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The whole premise for Romans was justification. Why do we even need to stand justified in front of God? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, we need in some way to be reconciled back to God. And that's what Romans is all about. If we allow pride or whatever it is to cause us to prevent that, we won't be saved. We won't be acquitted. We'll simply continue to accuse God. Now, it's possible to live in the light. It's possible to walk in the light in which we live and it's possible to stay in that light. But it requires work. It requires being proactive. It requires something on our behalf by us to be able to make that happen. We're not saved by works. Not at all. We're saved by grace, faith through obedience, and that includes godly works. We're not saved by works alone or grace alone. We're saved by a combination of God's grace and His works and our obedience fulfilling that. We need to understand as we close and and we look at the, the final portion of uh, this passage in John's letter, the idea of confessing faults and repenting of sin, we have to do it or it will result in eternal punishment. But we need to understand, and I've said this before, confession doesn't intend revelation does it we don't have, we don't have to go into all the, the dirty laundry and the details we're not a denomination we don't go before someone and confess our sins to them necessarily in that way we confess our sins one to another but we have to do it in the proper context if I sin against someone and I can go to that individual and I say I'm sorry for what I've done I ask them to forgive me and ask God to forgive me That might not be possible. It might be such that I can't go to every individual that understands that I've done something. So I have to make a statement. I have to own the responsibility. I have sinned and I have fallen short of what God expects of me. And I want Him to forgive me and I want my brethren to forgive me. What about those that, that know nothing about the situation? They don't need to know anything about it other than, I've done wrong, I own it, I want God to forgive me, and I want my brethren to forgive me. Those who know about it, know about it, and they understand. And that's what God expects. That's how we remain in the light. Walking in the light means when I mess up, I ask God to forgive me, I get that sin out of my life, and then His blood will continually cleanse me. If I don't get the sin out of my life, His blood's not going to uh, cleanse me. Why? I've stepped out of the light. I'm no longer in the light. I'm walking in darkness. And that's the message that John wanted us to uh, glean from these passages. Walk in the light. This is how you do it and this is why you do it. God's always been very clear. He never has expected us to read His mind. He's only expected us to obey what He has stated. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that. Come into the light of, of God through uh, obedience to the plan of salvation. Just as we mentioned before, faith. That Jesus is who He said He was. Repentance, turning away from the darkness, turning to the light. Confession that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for our salvation. Being immersed in water so that our sins will be washed away. And then living this faithful life. If you find yourself in a situation where you've obeyed the gospel, yet you've stepped out of the light, it's a very simple process. The second law of pardon, and that's what this passage is about in its context, the second law of pardon. Coming back to God through confession and repentance, however it needs to be done. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.